Well, the Church of Jesus needs to be examining itself to stay free from negative influences from the world around it, which is being subjected to the evil powers and principalities. One mistake the American church is still recovering from is the strong CEO model for the senior pastor. It began sometime after World War II. At this time, the big three auto companies, General Electric and other mega corporations, were dominating a booming post-war economy. And they all had strong CEOs, especially Ford Motor Company. Now, unfortunately, many churches forgot what Jesus did and taught the one who was the king of all he created when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for all people who are sinners and are now under the control of the evil one. And sadly, being human, there were pastors who felt entitled to exercise strong control over the flock that God had entrusted to them with disastrous results. I'm sure you've all heard about the polls, and I read it every so many months in Christianity Today. Since the 1980s, many people have left the Church of Jesus not realizing that what they are really leaving is man's ignorance. They are implicitly blaming Jesus for sinful leaders. Now, I'm just going to state this out. I've spent many years living in it. But so fortunately, because of God's grace, over the years now, many uh, corporate consultants are discovering God's built-in gracious truth all about servant leadership. In fact, it's now standard management training in many large corporations. Now, with this introduction and background, the story we heard about Jesus and his disciples is one of the best of many examples in Scripture, not just the Gospels, but the epistles to the churches of the total humility of Jesus. Jesus demonstrated his humility to his disciples at his last Passover on earth by doing one of the lowliest tasks of a household servant. And then he told his disciples they ought to imitate their master teacher by humbly serving one another. And this will all be possible after his hour, which can be summed up by his death and resurrection to be the one who saves people from their sins and restores them into a joyful relationship with God. So now let's look closer at our text to learn more. So starting with John's gospel, 
The first half of it is that we're told Jesus knew his hour had come and he loved his own to the end. And then he began to wash their feet. And as an introduction at his last Passover, Jesus loved his own to the end. And then he rose and wrapped a towel about himself. Now let's take it verse by verse. Before the Passover, Jesus had known that his hour had come to leave the world, having loved his own in the world, to the end, he loved them. Well, what's going on here? I gave you a brief summary of his hour, but Jesus' whole life on earth was lived so that he would die as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all people, and then he would come back to life to give his true life to all with the faith of him. And Jesus' love, uh, I love what it says in Ephesians, his love is so amazing as to be incomprehensible to people. Paul prayed, that they would know the love that surpasses knowledge. Continuing, John says, supper continuing, the accuser now had put into the heart that he may hand him over, namely Judas, son of Simon of Iscariot. Now, the accuser, the accuser is always slandering the people of God. And sometimes he finds weak people to lead them astray, but he will especially slander and accuse those most dedicated to God. Now, Judas, which is the Greek transcription of the name Judah, meaning praise, we're told he's from Iscariot, which means many cities. And I just wonder, it's just pure speculation, but there's a lot of white spaces in the Bible, and what do we do with them? If there were a whole lot of cities, perhaps this was a very worldly place. And perhaps Judas wasn't able to overcome his worldly upbringing, even after all this time with Jesus. Well, John continues that Jesus had known that all the Father gave to him. And that from God he had come and to God he is going. So what's happening here is the father sent Jesus to the world that it might be saved through him. And at this point, his mission in the world is almost over. So that part's in the past tense. But what he's doing now is one more thing. At the end of Holy Week, the crucifixion, the resurrection, Pentecost, and all that followed in rapid order. That is the most important thing he ever did. And John said, he's being raised now from supper. He's laying aside his garments. And having taken a towel, he wrapped it around himself. Um, I couldn't help but think of that hymn, emptied himself of all but love. He's laying aside now even what he retained as a human. And he's taking on the full essence of a servant. And read again the beginning of Philippians 2, that great hymn to Jesus and all that he did. And now continuing, we can sum it up. He began to wash the feet of his disciples. Peter strongly objected. And then Jesus said, Peter will have no 
part in him if he continues to refuse Jesus. So John continues with his detailed narrative. And after he, Jesus, is pouring water into the basin, he began to wash the feet of the disciples and to wipe with the towel which he had wrapped around, wrapped around his waist. First, Jesus dressed himself as a humble servant to his disciples, and now he is acting, acting as a humble servant to them after his last Passover on earth. And you can read in Matthew's gospel where he said, this Passover cup, I will not drink again until the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. So Jesus humbled himself at his last Passover on earth. And then we're told he's coming to Simon Peter, who's saying to him, Lord, thou of me are washing the feet. And and it was read perfectly for us, just the right tone of voice. He's objecting to Jesus with an exclamatory question. Now, there is a new word for this ancient phenomena that I'm discovering over the last year is gaining a lot of traction. Have any of you ever heard the word bang? What it is is a compound word, entero for an interrogation or a question, but it's a question that's asked with so much incredulity that it's really an exclamation. And newspaper slang for an exclamation point is bang. Now, I heard it from one of the contestants on Jeopardy recently, and it's the name of the new Switchfoot album. So Peter is just saying I don't get it. And Jesus answered him and said to him, what I even I am doing, not thou have known now, but thou will know afterwards. So at this time, not enough has happened. And Jesus is saying that Peter is ignorant. He doesn't know enough about Jesus, his mission to understand. But then he assures Peter, that after what Jesus is going to do in the days ahead, Peter will understand. And, And as I was writing this and meditating on it, I couldn't help but hear the words, and the darkness shall turn to dawning. That's what Jesus is promising. And Peter's saying to him, never, not thou may wash my feet forever. And Jesus answered to him, If not, I may wash the feet of thee. Thou art having no part with me. So Peter now raises his objection with his first exclamatory question to use the very strongest language possible. Human language has no stronger negation. He says, you cannot wash my feet. It's improper. I don't deserve it. What are you doing? And then Jesus comes back to him with a rebuke. And he says to Peter, if you continue to refuse what I am doing, you will be excluded from any future fellowship or discipleship with me. Then he is saying to him, Simon Peter, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and the head. 
And isn't this typical Peter? He does a strong and immediate 180. He's capable of going from one extreme to the other in a heartbeat. And, you know, I can get it. You know, I think some of us have been there. Now, the rest of our text this morning, Jesus is now saying to all of them that they're clean. All but one. And then he said, if he, their master teacher, washed their feet, they ought to wash one another's feet and be blessed. And then we will conclude with David's prayer to be cleansed from sin, to enjoy God's salvation. And all oh, that's something God showed me now about three or four years ago, which I think is the heart of it all. But we start and continue our story. Now Jesus is addressing them all, and he says, the one who is washed is clean, but not one of them, because he knew his betrayer. So speaking to Peter and earshotting them all, John tells us, Jesus is saying to him, who has been washed, not he is having need, if not or only, only to have his feet washed, but he is being clean, whole. And you all, clean, you all are being, but surely not all. What's going on here? Well, Jesus is saying, given the circumstances, what they lived in, in a wilderness, in a dusty place, the reality is this, anyone fully washed after a journey, even before he started out, he will only need to wash his feet because he walked on dusty roads with open sandals. But he's saying much more because metaphorically, What he's saying is those who are truly his disciples are cleansed from sin. But then he says, not all. You see, Jesus knew one of his disciples would sin by handing him over. That's what it literally means to hand over or to give over Jesus to be crucified. Continuing, because he had known, in fact, from long ago, that the one who is betraying him, he knew the one. Therefore, he said, not all of you all are being clean. Okay. Jesus always knew as part of this eternal plan of salvation, who would hand him over. And John already told us earlier, and we heard it, it's going to be Judas, Judah. And now Jesus asked his disciples, all of them, if they knew what he, their master teacher, had done before he said that they ought to imitate him and wash one another's feet, and then they will be blessed, blessed for doing this. So then when he had first washed their feet, Secondly, taken his garments up and put them on again. And then when he sat down again, he said to them, you all are knowing, are are you all knowing what I have done for you? So first of all, master teacher, I think is a fuller translation of Rabbi, which literally means my great one. 
It goes from Hebrew to Greek to English. Rabbi. And then he says, if I, even I, washed of you all the feet, the Lord and the master teacher. Also, you all, even you all ought to be being to one another to wash the feet. Okay, present tense, ongoing. But here we get a glimpse And I said in the introduction, Jesus is the true and the first ever servant leader. He is the Lord of all he created, and he has just, as an example, humbly washed their feet, the 12 apostles. Jesus humbled himself at his last Passover, and then He applies it. He says emphatically to his disciples that they must practice humble service to one another as evidence that they are salt and light. He says, thou must do likewise. And now, because the pattern I have given to you all, he's saying, even as I, even I have done to you all, even you all, must be doing. Now, pattern is type, is example. And the expected result of Jesus humbly serving his disciples is that they would always be humbly serving. In fact, he put no qualification on it. Humble service is the expectation. Now, the reality is that people can only obey these words of Jesus by grace through faith. And that would come later. The grace, the faith, the Holy Spirit, all of that. But at this moment, his example is enough to start the teaching. Jesus humbled himself at his last Passover And now um, he says, truly, truly, I am saying to you all, not as being servant greater than his Lord, neither the apostle, one who was sent, greater than the one sending him, who sent him, has sent him. So Jesus is strongly telling them they should be in awe of him for who he is. I, your Lord, your master, your great teacher, I have done this, okay? And there is no one greater than him. He's reminding them of that, okay? They aren't greater than him. We aren't greater than him. Nobody. But then the last verse we heard read in John's gospel, the bottom line, he then says to them, this is a promise, If these things you all have known, blessed you all are being, um, if you may be doing them. Okay. Jesus uses the same word here for blessing that he used in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. If by the grace of God and through faith, we can serve as he served, there will be a blessing. And why can we do it? Because Jesus humbled himself at his last Passover. Now, let's turn to this extract 
from uh, David's psalm, probably one of his more um, well-known psalms. David is praying to God that God will cleanse him, renew him, and be with him so he will enjoy God's great salvation. And I'm going to do what I've done the last few weeks with these psalm extracts. Um, After some 22 or 3 years, I'm going to try to give you a, a literal translation of the Hebrew as if I was speaking Hebrew, not English. Uh, they did that in the Puritan Psalters. So David says, Thou will purge from sin me in hyssop, and I will be clean. Thou will wash me in more than snow, I will be made white. What's going on here? David has extreme faith in God's cleansing, in what God will do for him, even after these two heinous sins of adultery and murder that he had committed. He expects God to purge sin from him and wash him to be morally clean, right in the presence of God. David continues, thou will make me hear joy and gladness. They will rejoice the bones thou broke. And now he's expressing an expectation of joy. Even with what he's done, even with how broken he now knows he is, he says, after you clean me, after you make me clean, I believe that I will experience joy. Body and soul, soul being cleansed, broken bones being made right. Continuing, he says, thou must hide thy face from my sins and all my iniquity thou must blot out. Heart clean thou must create in me, God. And spirit firmly established thou must renew in the inner being of me. What's going on? First, negatively, he's saying, remove my sin. He prays for God to hide his sins, blot out his iniquities. To paraphrase it, he's saying, thou must do away with my shortcomings and my wrong tendencies. And then positively, he says, please, please recreate a clean heart in me. It was wicked. Please make it clean again and continually make my spirit new. He's requesting God to hide his sins. And that will happen when God will purge his sin by the work of God's coming Savior Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Cleansing from sin has always been through Jesus. First in prophecy, in what we call the Old Testament, and now in fulfillment with the Gospels and what we call the New Testament. Jesus is the one who cleanses from sin. And then David concludes the portion we're looking at this way. Not thou will cause me to be cast away from thy presence And the spirit of thy holiness, not thou will take from me. Thou must make me to return to the joy of thy salvation. 
and of spirit of willingness, thou will sustain me. Again, negative and positive. David has every confidence that God will not withdraw his presence from him. And finally, he speaks of the joy of salvation. And I hope and pray that everyone can experience this someday. David has every confidence God will not withdraw his presence from him. And then he requests God to sustain his spirit so he can enjoy God's salvation. And this is now fully realized in Jesus. Everyone who is in Jesus can expect to have the joy of his salvation, even in the worst of circumstances. And sometimes we all go through some very hard times. So let's wrap this up now. At his last Passover, Jesus knew his hour had come, and he loved his disciples to the end, humbling himself by laying aside his majesty to wash their feet as a lowly servant. And then he said, they are not greater than him, so they ought to wash one another's feet and be blessed in the doing of this, serving others serving God by serving others. And then David requested God to cleanse him so that he could have his joy of salvation restored after he had sinned so gravely. And all of this comes about because of the humility of Jesus and because it started with Jesus humbling himself at his last Passover, and that was just a foretaste of what he did on the cross for us all.